0: This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people need a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Our scripture is from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Um, it's good to be back. It's good to be here. It's always good to come out and visit with with Community Covenant. Um, as Ben said, I'm the executive director of Beyond Borders. We're a nonprofit consulting firm, and we uh, provide uh, um, a lot of services to different organizations around the state. Um, we do work to build communities, and we do that primarily through helping build healthy leaders and healthy teams and healthy organizations that are serving in communities. And so when Brad sent me an email and said, would you like to come out and speak? I said, sure. And I thought, well, usually there's a theme going on at the church. So I asked what the theme was. And he says, it's about parenting and about families and about raising kids. And I said, well, I've been a husband for almost four years. And I have a child that's just over a year old. I don't think that I'm the guy that you're looking for. (laughs) All I really know is that I don't know as much now as I thought I did a few years ago. And so I'm going to talk about failure and family because I have (laughs) some understanding of that. (laughs) Let me see if I can get my slides to work here. There you go. Failure and hope and families. Um, I was having lunch with a friend, a couple friends of mine, uh, a couple days ago. And uh, uh, one of them didn't know what I was talking about today. But he started talking about, he's got three or four kids at home, and he started talking about how he notices that the more kids... Uh, his friends have and the longer they have those kids the more they feel like they're doing a bad job at what they're doing and um, and and that was sort of a confirmation to me that maybe i'm speaking to the right topic Um, it's interesting when you think about you know right my wife and i are both students in general we're always studying things and trying to learn and and um, so once we had our little guy elijah um, You know, all of a sudden we built this whole library of what do we do with him and how do we not blow this and and how do we make this right. And so we've been reading all these books. And it's interesting as you read, you get this term biblical family values that comes up. And it's an interesting term and it's an interesting concept. And and, and, uh, um, I feel like that probably within the American church, we need to wrestle a little more honestly with that term. When you read through the Bible, it is really... Really hard to find a family that's described in the Bible that demonstrates biblical family values the way we come to think of those. You think about Adam and Eve, right off the bat, one of the first recorded conversations with Adam and Eve, Adam's throwing Eve under the bus in front of God, right? Eve is busy finding the snake to blame for things, Satan to blame for stuff, not taking ownership, minimizing, hiding. And then shortly afterward, well, we don't know how long afterwards, but in the narrative, shortly afterwards, their firstborn son is killing their secondborn son. And we talk about how bad things have gotten today. <clears throat> right? They started out bad. We started out with a desperate need for the gospel. I mean, that was just, that's just the story from day one. At least as far as, you know, relatively speaking. If you look through the narrative in Scripture, you see the same thing over and over again. Um, You look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the famous sort of patriarchs of the Bible. And and, uh, it was twice that Abraham sort of gave Sarah off to some guy because he was scared of being conquered or beaten up by this guy. And he said, she's not my wife. She's my sister. She's just some relative to me. You can go ahead and marry her. Two times he gave his wife away like that, because he was scared of of the confrontation now he was Abraham was a guy that he was a, he was almost the same thing as a king. He would go to war against kings and win like he was a pretty tough guy. He kind of built his own little uh, uh, chiefdom around himself. He was a man of authority and he was respected in his region, but he, he wasn 't bold enough to fight for his wife. I always wondered. Bible doesn't give any commentary on that, but what did Sarah feel about that? You know, and then we read about the the experience of of uh, uh, Sarah couldn't conceive a child, and so um, she asked uh, Abraham to take uh, this lady Hagar as a concubine and to have a baby with her, so there could be at least a boy or somebody, a child in the family, and so Abraham did that. And then it just created all this confusion and jealousy and tension, and, and and it didn't work. And then Abraham kind of didn't even fight for his son in that case and just sent him off into the desert. And and in the narrative, we find that they actually came very close to dying because they didn't know where to go. They had nowhere to go in the desert. And you see this all the way through the Isaac and Jacob syndrome, too, or syndrome the uh, um, familial line is just... Uh, people that are failing each other they're failing their spouses they're failing their children they're failing uh, their parents they're failing their siblings <clears throat> if nothing else it looks familiar to me and you see all the way that through and bring that story up to, to the story of David and we see the same thing David is a, is a man after God's own heart and um, and that's a profound statement that God really loves David. David is a unique character because he's such a well-known character. He lived thousands of years ago, many thousands of years ago, and he's known all over the world, and God did that on purpose. He said, I'll make sure that you'll never forgotten. And it's because he loved him, it's because of David's heart, but David was not a particularly good father, and he was not a particularly good husband. I don't know how else to read the stories about David. He was an incredible, incredibly passionate man who loved God. He loved the things of God. But he didn't get it all right. So how do we make sense of this stuff? And one thing one way for me to make sense of it is is it's it's a it's a reaffirmation that despite how good I like to think I am, I desperately need the gospel. And as I look at my own heart and I look at just me trying to figure things out and being unsuccessful at that much of the time or not consistently successful at that, and I look at at the things that I overlook, the needs that I overlook for my wife or just the parts of me that I carry into uh, my marriage, um, the parts of me and just the the stuff from my family and the way we do things or didn't didn't do things. And I'm wondering, what am I going to pass on to my son? And you have these thoughts of failure. And so this is what I want to talk about this morning, is about failure, because we've we've all failed, and we all fail, and we're all going to do more failure. And I don't believe in saying it's all going to be okay, it's covered under the blood. There's truth in that. That doesn't give anybody hope, really, that much hope, because that's not really where we want to sit. And so what I want to... Because I don't know much about families, I had to reach to my leadership books and my leadership stuff because that that's something I do know something about and I, and I already had that library built. And so um, there's a guy that's been helpful to me, his name's Dan Allender, and he actually writes about families as well. He's a Christian psychologist, and he wrote a book called Leading with a Limp. And um, it's the premise of the book is how to how to use your major weakness and turn it into your, your major strength as a leader. And in it, he's reflecting how on, within the leadership world, within leadership literature, for the last couple of decades, there's been a lot of work and thinking around the importance of authenticity in leadership and not trying to be the leader on the top of the hill that's sort of unapproachable and nobody really knows your full story. You just sort of speak these truths out from somewhere and everyone believes that you're, you know, kind of omnipotent and omniscient and all of these other things. And um, I think people sort of come to the understanding that most people don't buy that about their leaders. And so they're saying maybe authenticity is a better way to go. And how do you be authentic as a leader? Well, Danny Allender is trying to take that a step forward and say it's not just about being open about your weaknesses and about your fears and about those kinds of things. It's also about being able to really allow your own wrestling with weaknesses and your own wrestling with where you're not yet there to be part of how you lead. And so that's the message, in a sense, of a hope that I want to bring to you today, is if you're thinking about any of the areas that you fail in, that you blow it in, is that I really believe (coughs) that if I embrace where I fail, where I fail my wife and where I fail my son, or my parents or my siblings and I say instead of just those being shame filled experiences what if those experiences are points are intersections where I can begin to change the family narrative where I can begin to do something that's different than how our family has typically responded or as opposed to hiding and covering up and trying to exercise control or domination or or doing something like that, instead, I begin to, through the process of confession, begin to reintroduce the gospel to my family. Not the gospel as an academic fact or a theological fact, but the gospel as an experiential reality. And through doing that, begin to transform not only myself, and by bringing myself into realignment with God, Transform the possible future of my family, and that gives me some sense of hope. So, and we've, we've been working through um, uh, uh, life together uh, last fall, and this, and starting off this spring, um, working through the the curriculum of reconciling everyday or uh, re- resolving everyday conflict. And um, one of the premises, or one of the peacemaking principles within that content, if you're part of that, is that. Conflict is an opportunity for the gospel. Conflict is an opportunity for the gospel. Well, that's true. And failure in your family is equally, if not more so. Failure, I want you to think of this. Failure, your failure, your blowing it, can be, if you allow it, can be the fertile soil that the gospel takes root and comes to life in. Failure does not have to be the end. Failure can be the beginning if we relate to it appropriately. And let me suggest this to you. We have no other choice because we fail. Because we can't get around that. We fail. We do that. We blow it. But the gospel was given to us because the Lord knew we were going to fail. And so that's why he says to Paul, and the dynamics behind this this scripture is a little bit different. Paul had just had this revelation of God, and and so he's saying God wanted to keep him humble, and so he gave him a thorn in the flesh. But I I believe the principle behind it is the same. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. So you feel totally embarrassed to go and confess to your spouse, to go talk to someone. You feel overwhelmed with shame, you feel hopeless, you feel, you feel uncomfortable, you feel like, well maybe I didn't really, all the things that come to mind. And the Lord says to you, my grace is sufficient because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so God, instead of saying, I can't believe you guys blew it, I don't know what to do with the world anymore. He says, I'm going to make myself shown even more perfect through all of this. I'm going to use, use your struggles to show something that's even cooler, that's even more profound than what you could have seen without this. This is the cool thing about God, is that He takes, He's not, he's not confused and thrown off by our mistakes. So, there's three drivers of failure, and I'm only going to dip into Danny Allender's book a little bit. If you do leadership or management, I recommend the book, Leading with a Limp. Um, if you're thinking about parenting or, or husbandry or wifery, um, the book won't be as helpful. <clears throat> Sorry for not having a better reference for you. Um, but he, he identifies three basic areas, and I think it I think it reflects to uh, families as well. So one of the, the main areas that we fail in is, is out of fear. Um, And so when I first got married, I I was married when I was 35. And so there's a whole reason why people wait until they're 35 when they're married. And it's because I was an imperfect human being. And some of my imperfections took me until I was 35 before I found a woman that I could accept as perfect enough to marry me. And um, and then within minutes, I found out that wasn't true. Um, On our honeymoon... Um, I, we, I, I did spend at least one night of our honeymoon on the couch. Um, the first six months of our marriage were really were, were hard. They were rough. They were a challenge. And um, uh, and I have a fantastic wife. If any of you know my wife, Marta, I mean, she's the kind of person that socially legitimizes me. People are like, I don't know who this guy is. But if she married him, he must be okay somewhere. But I had so much fear about this woman ruining my life somehow. You know, this person who I thought was going to fulfill all my needs, now she's going to ruin my life. I had so much fear and it came up in so many unexpected ways and it came out of me through control and through anger. That's how I expressed a lot of my fear. Some people will respond through controlling ways and there's all sorts of ways to express that. Other people will just quit. Various forms of quitting or drawing back. But that's how fear can, can represent itself in us. There's pride. Pride is a, a major thing that we all have to wrestle with. And it looks different ways in lots of people. Some of us, it's just obvious and ugly and everybody knows it and it's gross. Others of us have known, learned how to package it in a way where it looks really good. Either way, it brings about death in relationships. Either way, it ends things. It kills things. And it's the same thing. Pride, when I feel like somehow my sense of significance is going to be threatened by you, if I feel like my significance is going to be threatened by my child's performance in school or in a sport or by the way my wife does something or the way my husband handles something, then I'm going to react to protect my sense of value. And I'll do that through controlling or through some sort of a checking out. It's always kind of one of those two responses. And there's different gradients and ways that can look, but it's always through somehow, I'm going to get in control of this and make it go my way, or I'm just going to check out of this scenario and make sure it doesn't impact me. And the last one is through addiction. If you don't like the word addiction, that's fine. There's other great words that mean the same thing. You can say habitual sins, sins that you just can't quit. You can say destructive patterns, patterns in your life that are not producing life. All of these things are the same. It doesn't matter whether it's a substance. It doesn't matter whether it's a behavior. It doesn't matter whether it's a a destructive mindset. But it's something that's going on that you can't kick. That you can't kick. You do it over and over and over again, kind of compulsively. These are the three main things in leadership that will bring down a leader. And I think that these probably are at least three places to look at in our marriage or in our parenting or as being children or siblings, that we can begin. Just as a starting point, is how is fear really driving me? How is pride driving me? And how is some sort of addiction or habitual sin driving me? And the thing is, is is we don't want to go through this list and say, well, I know it's not A or B or C, So maybe I don't really fit any of these. I think I only identify with one of them. I would say probably most of us, just due to being human, we're dealing with most of these issues. That's probably been my biggest learning experience. Whatever I know, at the age I am, which isn't that old, is that we're all full of it. It's full of sin, right? And the more I work with people, and, and, and the way some of the work that I do, I work at a pretty deep level with where people are at and their motivations and what drives them. And what I find is at the core, there's some really fantastic people out there who also coexist with a lot of junk. And that's just the human existence. And that is why, there's no, there shouldn't be a mystery to that. That's why there's the Gospel. God made us special. He made us wonderful. He made us valuable. And then there's all this junk. And he says, but I love you so much. I love you so much. I want you. So let's figure out how to clean this up. Let's figure out how to do this. Now some of this stuff, he says, we're just going to make a way where you can have a relationship with me and that's quick and that's easy. You just need to acknowledge some things and we're there. And some of this is really hard. There's an aspect of the gospel which is really hard and that's walking it out in relationships. It's interesting. If you look at miracles in the Bible, there's all sorts of miracles regarding physical healing and things of nature. Do you see any miracles in the Bible where relationships were just magically restored? People have to work it out. You have to take the Gospel in your hands and apply it to your wife and your husband and to your children. You have to walk it out. And we begin doing that by stepping into it fully ourselves. Are you with me? So let's talk about what this looks like. And this is probably going to be familiar to a lot of you, but it's a, it's a different way of expressing it. <clears throat> so the first thing that we do to create space for the Gospel is that when I recognize that I've blown it, the first thing I need to do is I need to come and I just need to confess completely. Not, not confess just the bits, right? So we're all pretty good at this. I know how to confess just enough so that the other person knows I'm guilty, but not enough that I've really said the whole thing. While you're there, just go into it. You know, while you're already looking bad, just might as well give up and dump it all in. Now, I understand that when we talk about failure, some of us have just done things that are embarrassing and some of us have done things that are just enormously destructive. And so there's wisdom that needs to be utilized in how we engage in some of these conversations. But if we're going to go to someone and confess... And I'm also talking a little bit about... I want to acknowledge, because I'm going to go through a process of confession here. I want to acknowledge there's things that everybody knows that we're doing. And we're finally acknowledging those. And then there's the secrets that we've been holding for a long time that could be really damaging to share. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because there's like 8 million different alternatives and ways you should handle things. I just want to say if if... if if during the course of this morning you feel convicted that you need to confess something to somebody in your family and it's a secret that could be really hurtful to them to hear, I want to suggest, really strongly, I want to suggest that you find someone that's very wise, that's a very mature Christian, that can help counsel you on how to have that communication with that person on timing and on a way to communicate it. Because we don't want our confession to be a chance for us to just not feel guilty anymore. It's not about us. It's not about me not feeling bad and not wanting to carry this. The worst thing in the world is a confession that's just me shifting my weight of my junk onto someone else's shoulders. Right? Confession is about restoration and it's about life. And if we make it about anything else than that, we've missed the point. And so if there's a secret that, that you feel like you need to bring out, I, I really strongly encourage you that you, you bring it to some people that you really can trust to help you think through the best way to go about doing this. Um, it's been my experience, though, that if done well, uh, confessing to the Lord, confessing to some other folks, confessing to the people that we've wounded, in most cases, if it's done well, it brings about life. And it opens the doorway for the fullness of the gospel to be experienced. In fact, I don't think we can experience the gospel fully until I've really confessed something, I've really, really blown it towards you, and then if I've experienced the opportunity of receiving grace. I, I have seen the clearest, clearest demonstrations of the gospel as I've received grace from my wife. As I've communicated things to her, Marta, here's how I have failed you. And I watch her absorb what I'm saying and I watch her uh, uh, register the pain and she doesn't deny or minimize it and then she extends grace to me and and I'm, I'm floored and I'm grateful that I have a wife who's able to do that, who's willing to do that. And I almost feel like there needs to be more punishment involved in this. Like, I need to feel better about all of this. And she gives this grace to me. And it's a profound thing for me. And I begin to see something of God that I haven't seen before. Okay, so when we confess, we confess wholly and vulnerably. And the idea of vulnerability in the confession is that confessions that are designed to be manipulative or to control are no good either. right? The preemptive confession, I'm going to tell you this so that that I don't really feel the full effect of whatever's going on. That's no good. We're talking about I'm just laying it out there. I'm not in control anymore. Okay, we own the impact and we accept the consequences. So part of what I do for work is I mediate disputes between people and organizations, workplace conflict and so on. And um, I can tell you that the make it or break it for most of these mediations is whether or not one party is willing to acknowledge wrong. Usually by the time a dispute has reached me, both sides have sort of offended each other. And um, if I can get any of the parties to acknowledge that they've somehow offended the other person, that usually opens the doorways for them to begin having a meaningful conversation. And the greatest resistance I find, it doesn't matter if I'm working with two ministers or two guys in construction, the greatest resistance I find is in acknowledging that maybe I had any part to play in this. And once somebody will acknowledge that, they'll acknowledge this log in their own eye, or the speck in their eye, or anything in their eye, then usually a real conversation begins to happen. And part of what happens, that's why confession is important, but part of this element is too, is we don't want to really absorb the impact of what's going on. And so oftentimes I want to come up to someone, and I want to say, I'm sorry, I did this. And if you've been feeling the fact that I've been doing this for the last six months, and you've been dealing with all this frustration, and finally I'm acknowledging it, you may want to vent on me a little bit. Now, I'm thinking, well, I just apologize. I just did the right thing, so you're totally out of line. <laughs> right? And we do, at least I've done that, right? We do these kinds of things. Now, you're supposed to give me forgiveness right now. When we're confessing to someone, we own the impact. Now, I may not even know how this has impacted you, so I may need to ask you, how has this impacted you? What has this done to you? I may not fully I may think I understand how my sin has impacted your life, but really I may need to just hear from you. How has this impacted you? What has this done? What are the consequences of my actions? I need to just sit and sit in that and not try to go to my my personal pattern of trying to control it and define for you what the impact and consequences were so that I can clean it up because it's control. I have to own the fact of whatever I did is out there. And then determine what am I going to do about this. And, and that should be done in a conversation with the other person. We humbly make amends. I love this word amends. This is a word that, that means it's going to someone and, and, and fixing it and working it out with them. And it really has probably the, it, it exists strongest in the recovery world. In the world of addictions and 12 steps. And in, in that world, Amends really means this whole process of going to someone and saying, this is how I blew it. Maybe it was like 20 years ago, 50 years ago. Here's how I blew it to you. And I've never acknowledged that. Now I'm going to come and I want to talk about this. And I'm sorry. And I don't even think I understand how this impacted you. And tell me about this. And what can I do to make it right? And, 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 and the teaching in that is very strong that you don't try to control the definition of what the what the what the impact was or what fixing it looks like. And you don't try to have any kind of control or impact on how the other person responds. It's just really a submission and an acknowledgement to the other person. And then you just stay in that place. And you let the other person have the control in the situation. And it's profound. We receive help we may not be able to fix it on our own. Particularly if it's an addiction or habitual sin or behavioral pattern, we may not be able to change on our own. If it's fear that's driving it, fear we always justify. None of us has an unjustified fear. Any fear that I feel, I can give you three hours of monologue about why it's justified and why it's deserved. Pride, we don't see it. We can't even see our own pride. It's sneaky that way. We need other people to help us see it. So we need to receive help. We need to pursue help. And we need to allow people to give us help. We also need to receive grace. The gospel does not come full circle if we fall into, and this is a very Christian kind of a thing, to say, if I can make myself feel bad enough or look bad enough, maybe I can make myself right. And it's to try to absorb as much guilt as possible because grace on its own is so confusing. But we need to receive grace so we can enter into healing, so we can be the parent or the spouse that our, that our children or that our, others, that our spouse wants us to be. We, want, we, need, we, need, we, need, we need to be able to step into that. And lastly, we have to change. There has to be something different. Next year... Maybe tomorrow it won't be automatically different, but next year there should be something that's different. There should be change in our lives, and we need to be working on that. It needs to be real. Let me prove to you that this is valuable. We're going to do a little thought experiment. I want you to think of that person in your family or in your life who has somehow wounded you Or betrayed you, abused you, hurt you in some way. And they've never acknowledged it. Or if they did acknowledge it, it wasn't in a meaningful way. It wasn't in a way that brought some kind of relief to you. Just think about it. If that person were to come to you with genuine humility... And they would just say, I acknowledge what I did to you. I don't even think I understand how that impacted you. Would you tell me? I'll just sit and listen as long as it takes. What did this do to you? For how many of you would that, it may not put you in a place of wanting to be friends with that person or close to that person again, but how would that change change your ability to even perceive that person it begins to change things dramatically. Just that acknowledgement of what happened. And then, if that person was to really own what they did and they actually went about, you know, they said, What would fixing it look like? And let's say you had some ideas. This is what I would like to see. And then you saw them over the course of the next year working out those ideas. And over the next two years, they worked out those ideas. And you saw them really, really doing those things that you thought would fix it. And they, they received grace. Every time they saw you, they weren't beating themselves up. They also weren't denying what they did, but they just received grace that they're in this process of restoration with you. And they were genuinely changing. How many of you would see that there would be transformation in your families if that were to happen? Put your hands up. Yeah, all over the room. There would be transformation in the families. Be that person in your family. We can't make the person that you were thinking of do that. But you can make sure you're never that person in someone else's mind. So, I can't pretend that any of this stuff is easy. But I don't know how else we get to the Gospel unless we go through some kind of death. Death to our pride. Death to our fears. Death to those behaviors that we want to hold on to. And we just confess. And the Lord calls us to confession all the time. And the thing, the encouragement that I want to leave you with is that the Lord promises us life. He promises us hope. At the end of the day, all of you are children made in God's image. You're people, you're, you're of infinite worth. I'm a new father. And one of the coolest things about being a new father is that for the first time in my life, I have a sense of what the father's heart feels like. One of the little things I like to do with my little guy is he gets to go to my favorite places on Saturdays with me. So we go on chores and we always end up at Lowe's or Home Depot. right? And he loves it there. He loves looking at the fans and the lights and all the colors and all the things. And I've done it so often with him now. The other day for work, I had to run and get light bulbs or something like that. So I'm at at Home Depot and I'm not with him. And I just felt so lonely for my little guy running around the store. And then this weird thought went through my head of, what if, you know, it's just these weird, I don't know if it's a parent thought or what, but what if he was dead? Like, what if I always felt this way? What if he was always gone? And I almost started crying right there in the store. Because I thought, man, how much I would miss this little guy. He's only been in my life for a year. And, and, And then later I realized this is just a taste, just a little bit, of what the Father's heart feels like. This is a little bit of a sense of how God feels towards me and how He feels towards you. Just this overwhelming sense of desire that you would allow yourself to be embraced by Him and embraced by the Gospel and that we would learn to do this to each other and offer this to each other. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I just want to lift this congregation up to You. Um, um, I, I, I know that the Gospel is never an easy truth. There's no easy path to you. Um, In some ways, it's the simplest thing in the world, and in every other way, it's the hardest, Lord. And we know that. But Lord, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for us. And your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, I pray that the truths of that will really find a home in our hearts. And that for anyone here who who has a conversation that's in front of them, that they're aware of, Lord, I pray that you surround them with your grace, surround them with your hope, surround them with your wisdom, that they'll receive counsel from your spirit, encourage, Lord, from your heart, and that, God, an overwhelming sense of how loved they are by you. Lord, we're so grateful for your grace and for your forgiveness and for the opportunities that you give us and for the life that You give us and the hope. In Your name we pray. Amen.